be able to. And I still feel like that. Uh, you could say, with what I wanted to share this morning, it's a very different, different thing altogether. Because um, if last time was learning to fly, this time is learning to swim. And that's not what I felt I could do when I was younger. The, the idea of it uh, just didn't interest me at all. But we'll come to that later, all right? We'll come to that later. Let me first of all read. Um, I want to read Isaiah 43 from verse 16 to 20. And I guess as a passage of scripture has often been used at the beginning of a new year. Uh, I was toying between carrying on with a Christmas theme or a new year theme and opted for the new year theme. Usually the Sunday after Christmas isn't New Year's Day. So usually the Sunday after Christmas over the years I've always preached on the wise men. I must have more sermons on the wise men than anybody really, but, but not today. This is what it says in Isaiah 43 verse 16 through to verse 20. This is what the Lord says. He who made a way through the sea, a path through the mighty waters, who drew out the chariots and horses, the army and reinforcements together, and they lay there never to rise again, extinguished, snuffed out like a wick. Forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. See, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I am making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. The wild animals honor me, the jackals and the owls, because I provide water in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland to give drink to my people, my chosen. Water's a, a fascinating thing. Uh, it was fascinating yesterday. I was just glad we were sort of under the cover of the stand at St. James's Park watching the footballers in the rain. Uh, <laughs> We did have to walk home afterwards, you know, as far as the metro, and so it got a bit wet. Water can be a blessing, water can be a, a, a less than a blessing. It can create huge damage, it can, can do huge good. Uh, that's the nature of water. It, it's slightly terrifying, actually. Anybody who's been in serious flood knows all about that. But water is also one of the key issues for life to exist. I was reading this week about uh, astronomers getting very excited about the possibility of water jets coming from one of the moons of Saturn. And because that is a possibility, it is therefore possible that maybe life may be perceived in some way because water exists. Always makes me smile. It comes out roughly this time of year every time, different, different sort of aspects of the universe and is the water there. But it's because people know for something to live, for something to thrive, for life to be, water is absolutely vital. Where there is no water, everything is barren. Uh, and yet, in many desert areas, in many barren areas across the world, there remain dormant seeds and, and plants, if you like, under the ground, just waiting for rainfall, waiting for the streams to flow. Uh, and the transformation can be rapid and astonishing. You may, over the years, have seen videos of it, how uh, a, a total desert land suddenly has rainfall. Uh, seemingly out of nowhere, these plants and flowers begin to emerge. And for a time, it's like a little verdant pasture before the rains stop and everything returns to the way it was. It was in the early hours of the morning uh, a few weeks ago after Andy had asked me to preach today that I, I woke up and knew that I had to preach on this subject. So it's not just so, so randomly chosen. I really do believe God's given it to me. 
And as this new year begins, I, I do want to bring a message of hope, but also a message of extreme dependency. And I think the parallels in our own lives as Christian people with what water can do is actually quite profound. But let's first of all think about the desert of today. Uh, we live, as Christians, we live from a Christian perspective in kind of desert times. I, I'm not suggesting there's nothing good about our society. Far from it. There are many good things that happen. Uh, there are many costly and charitable deeds done to help relieve human suffering and simple acts of kindness are, are there all over the place. During this year, we, uh, most of us have been deeply moved by the, the three dads walking uh, in memory of their, their daughters who each committed suicide and, uh, and their desperate attempt to raise the whole profile of, of getting alongside young people. Uh, Kevin Sinfield's astonishing feats of, uh, of endurance to raise money uh, for motor neuron uh, uh, research because of his friendship with Rob Burrow. These, these are incredible. The capacity of human beings to, to be kind and to be touched and to, to be involved. It's always been there, it's still there. The Bible tells us that human beings are made in the image of God. And although that image has been marred by human sinfulness, it's still there. But for all that, for all that, it is a comparative desert time, I believe. Despite many people thinking that we are now an advanced and progressive culture, the capacity to make war and to do so barbarically is unchanged from the beginning of time. Just the weapons have got a bit more sophisticated. The people certainly haven't. It's astonishing. Some of you will know one of my hate phrases is when people talk about progressive politics. <sighs> because very often it kind of is exactly the reverse and we're seeing some aspects of that in the tra transgender laws being passed in Scotland. That's actually regression. It's not progression totally distorted. Despite placing great store on wealth and economic growth, that's the way Western culture works, many even in Britain today cannot afford to feed their families or keep them warm. One pandemic and a war miles away has revealed that we're just as vulnerable as people have been for thousands of years. The culture of celebrity and sex obsession has left an empty and aimless void which is destroying both young and old, and which is being filled by, a tota by totalitarian influencers who peddle their distorted moralities to line their own pockets, and as a result, the young are being used as expendable commodities. That's the world in which we live. Families are being marginalized, the unborn seen as disposab a disposable inconvenience and the way things are heading, uh, the aged may be soon seen in the same light. Less than 50% of the population now claim any Christian adherence. I ought to just hedge that about. We, we've never had 50% of this population a Christian. It's just that was the label they gave themselves because it was the thing. If you were British, you were Christian. But gradually that's been eroded and eroded and eroded. So actually the people who are actually label themselves now Christian, uh, a greater percentage of those are the real deal. So I'm not suggesting the Christian church or Christianity has declined that much, but the, its acceptability as a norm within our society is plummeting. 
Traditional Christian values are being seen as, in some quarters as evil and even dangerous. And many parts of the Christian church have either capitulated to or compromised with the new morality. And other parts have bunkered down, hoping it will all go away if only they can keep the church doors open. Are you encouraged yet? <laughs> yeah. Pope Benedict XVI died um, yesterday, the day before, I can't remember. And uh, whatever you think of him and, uh, and his views on some things, he, he had one thing right. As a Telegraph columnist said, Pope Benedict XVI believed that it was the church's job to change the world, not the other way around. Now, that faces us with a challenge, doesn't it? In the light of the comparative desert times in which we live, how are we going to make a difference? Where are the answers? And I need to point out that, of course, just like in many deserts, real deserts out there, spiritually in this desert time, there are still many seeds that have been sown that are lying dormant, and still thousands of people are intrigued by the Christian message. There are still many coming to faith. We've baptized some of them here. Sometimes they take that step in the face of huge ridicule and even endangering their career path because to be true to the gospel now in this country closes the door to many careers if you don't tick the right boxes and say the right things. There are many churches that are still holding fast to the gospel and Christian values as well. That, uh, and many of those churches are growing rapidly. It's, if you like, in these desert places, there are still some oases. I've, uh, I've sort of been to an oasis once on a, a whirlwind package thing to Tunisia. I, I couldn't really tell it was an oasis, really. I just was told it was because there was water there and lots of commercialized is the word. But the oasis, of course, is the place in the desert where there is life and there is refreshment. And that is clearly around us within our society. So it's not all doom and gloom, but, and this is the point I'm majoring on this morning, we desperately need the flowing streams of God. We desperately need not just pockets of oases, but flowing rivers of God's grace. And of course, what we're talking about here is the Holy Spirit. Uh, throughout Scripture, water is a symbol of the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God. We need the great river of God to flow from oases, almost obliterating them across the whole territory. Not just a passing flash flood, but a flowing river which will continue to flow and get ever bigger. Some of you who know your Bibles well know we're going to tread into territory which is very clearly scriptural. I'm old enough to remember the summer of 1976. Yeah. We had a, David was a baby in a pram then, and at South End Seafront, where we were living, well, we weren't living on the seafront, we were living in South End, but at South End Seafront, I, I had to throw my body across his pram because of the plague of ladybirds that descended, and I was covered. My whole body was covered in ladybirds as I was trying to protect him. Astonishing. And boy, was it dry. 
If, you, if you're into your cricket, you can watch the highlights of cricket from those days where they used to just water the little bit of the wicket in the middle and everything else was just brown and barren. And we were told, we were told it would take at least a decade of more than average rainfall to refill the underground aquifers upon which our society depended. We were told that many of the lawns, many of the lawns were posh words for them, but you know, many of the grassy bits in gardens wouldn't survive. In less than a year, all the underground aquifers were refilled to overflowing, and nearly all the lawns survived. Why? Because it fell down, absolutely fell down. Water, you see, it makes a difference. So where will the streams come from? Where, where will the rivers of grace come from? Now I need to just press the pause button. All right, press the pause button there. All right. Let me explain for anybody here who doesn't know what I mean when I'm talking about grace, what we're talking about. See, what Christians believe is not what the world out there thinks that we believe. Christians kind of uh, the world out there thinks Christians believe that we, uh, we depend on God to try to be as good as we possibly can so that maybe he might let us into heaven. And Christians believe exactly the reverse. Well, nearly. That we haven't got a hope of heaven. We stand condemned with the rest of the world because we're sinners in need of forgiveness. And we also believe that God intervened. We've just celebrated the intervention in the coming of Jesus. God intervened by, by coming to us in the person of his son, Jesus Christ that that child of Bethlehem grew and died on a cross bearing all our sins, the consequences of all our sins. And when we talk about grace, we're talking about the free gift God offers of forgiveness because Jesus died for us. That's grace. God is offering us what we don't deserve. Oh, what a message. That's the message Christians have to share. That if we're prepared to turn from doing life our way and put our trust in him and what Jesus has done, we'll be totally accepted by God, totally forgiven by God, and in his eyes, even made righteous. Even though we still blow it from time to time, we've been made righteous in Jesus Christ because the Bible says salvation is in Christ. When we put our trust in Jesus, God places us in Christ. And all that he is becomes ours. It's astonishing! What a message. So when we talk about grace, we're talking about that free and undeserved favor of God. Now where are these rivers of grace going to come from? The oases are out there, but where are the rivers going to come from? Well, this is the way you'll have to bear with me because I've got a few readings I want to read. Mm, right, let's, let's start with Ezekiel because it's a fantastic passage of scripture. Great vision is the prophet Ezekiel had. Um, when he was being led um, in his vision to, the, to Jerusalem and all that sort of stuff. This is what it says in Ezekiel 47. The man, that's a kind of angelic visitation he had. The man brought me back to the entrance to the temple. That's the temple in Jerusalem. And I saw water coming out from under the threshold of the temple towards the east, for the temple faced east. The water was coming down from under the south side of the temple, south of the altar. He then brought me out through the north gate and led me round the outside to the outer gate facing east, and the water was trickling, trickling, lovely word, isn't it? Trickling 
from the south side. As the man went eastward with a measuring line in his hand, he measured off a thousand cubits, and then he led me through water that was ankle deep. He measured off another thousand cubits and led me through water that was knee deep. He measured off another thousand and led me through water that was up to the waist. He measured off another thousand, but now it was a river that I could not cross because the water had risen and was deep enough to swim in. A river that no one could cross. He asked me, son of man, do you see this? Then he led me back to the bank of the river. When I arrived there, I saw a great number of trees on each side of the river. He said to me, this water flows towards the east region and goes down to the Arabah, where it enters the Dead Sea. When it empties into the sea, the salty water becomes fresh. Swarms of living creatures will live wherever the river flows. There'll be large numbers of fish because this water flows there and makes the salt water fresh. So where the river flows, everything will live. Fishermen will stand along the shore from Engedi to Eglem. There will be places for spreading nets. The fish will be of many kinds, like the fish of the Mediterranean Sea. And so it goes on. What a picture. What a picture. Don't you think? Oh. And, and the water is coming from where? The altar of the temple. What's that about? It's where God is. The source of what this world needs, our country needs, is God. That's the source. But how do we get from what he begins to pour out to water which is deep enough to swim in? Nah, it's an interesting question. Let's carry on with our readings. Uh, just a sort of parallel reading, because when, when John, the old, uh, the old disciple of Jesus in his advanced years, had this incredible vision of the end times that we have recorded uh, in the book of Revelation, this was part of it. Y you might think it's sim similar to what we've just read, because it is. Uh, Revelation 22, then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb down the middle of the great street of the city. And on each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city and his servants will serve him. It's a great picture. Are you still with me? You're still, you're still following wh wh where we're at? Okay, let me read another, another bit of scripture. Uh, way back in the psalm, Psalm 46, and uh, verse 4 and 5, we find these words. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy place where the Most High God dwells. God is within her, she will not fall. God will help her at break of day. Again, from the temple, there is a river. John's great vision of the, the New Jerusalem, from there, the center of it all, comes the river. The river, the river, the river. I've got one more reading in a moment, but before we get to that, Let me remind you, we're talking here of pictures of the Holy Spirit. And what the Bible is clearly telling us is that God expects, as he pours out his spirit, our encounter with it and our experience of it to get greater and deeper and fuller and richer. That's how the spirit operates. 
Now I want to ask you a question. Years ago when I used to do alpha courses, I used to do this little exercise with people and actually had some interesting outcomes. They used to say, right, um, I used to teach about the Holy Spirit and I'd say, right, now just, just, just let's assume that right up that end of the hole there's a, a just a little bit of water, a little bit of the Holy Spirit, you know, a little bit. And then as you go up to that end is where you get to a ceiling level. Uh, then I'd say to people, why don't you go and stand where you think you are in relationship to the Holy Spirit? Fascinating exercise. Firstly, all the Christians who were there, there were Christians who wanted to do the course as a refresher, nearly all of them would go and stand down there. Why? Partly because we were telling the truth, and partly because they didn't want to see as if they were bragging. Crazy stuff. So I used to have to work on that and say, now, come on, come on, be real, where are you? Then I had to ask them a second question, and this is the question I asked you this morning. Where do you want to be? Where do you want to be? Are you content to be paddlers? Sorry, I'm not pointing at you, Ian. <laughs> Are you content to be paddlers? Or do you want to be in the full flow? Which brings me back to swimming, which is where we started, do you remember? Yeah, okay. I learned to swim when I was nearly 17 years old. That's quite old for learning to swim. I was at Sixth Form College, one of the first people ever to go to Sixth Form College, in Luton. Okay. And we had to do a games lesson. And because we couldn't do football every term, we had to choose something else. All right. And I thought, well, I can't swim. There were three of us actually thought, we can't swim, so we'll put ourselves down for swimming. It'll be just a, you know, just a chill, you know. But we didn't reckon with the games teacher, who was quite a <coughs> disciplinarian, to say the least. And he was determined that all three of us would learn to swim in that time. So uh, you've got to think I'm dressing this up, but I'm not really, just lightening the load a little bit, because it was actually terrifying for me at the time. So basically, you know, First time there, I got in the water. Now, that in itself was quite something. You know, when you're walking down this ladder into a swimming pool, you think, why didn't you jump in? You must be crazy. <laughs> walking down the water, I'm thinking, oh, oh, oh. You know that feeling? Yeah, I do. Still do. Still don't like it. Okay, so I'm, by that time, I'm sort of walking in the water, in my depth, of course, and going, oh, well, yes, all right. And little by little, this is what we were told to do, okay? First of all, he said, right, turn around and hold on to the little rim at the side and kick your legs out the back. So I was going, oh, oh, oh. And I discovered that I had to hold on like that, otherwise my face would go towards the edge and that wouldn't be very pleasant. So I thought, oh, that's interesting, okay? That was the first week. I'm not exaggerating. That was the, the first week. Okay. Then... The next thing was, he said, the next week, he said, I want you to walk out to your, up to your chest. Just bend the knees slightly and pull with your arms. And I discovered that you had to walk quite quickly to keep going, you know. <laughs> anyway, about five weeks into this, and I thought, well, I really need to try and do something. So I remember thinking, Maybe if I just stand on one leg and p 
pool. We'll see what happens. And I did that and went straight under the water and came up again and wouldn't do that again for the week. <laughs> All right. But then came this day. I was holding onto the side and I thought, I've, I've got to do this. And I put my feet on the back. I thought, if I push, I knew what I was supposed to do. But would it work? I pushed. And I went, <laughs> and gradually I sank towards the bottom. <laughs> but as I kept doing that, a strange thing happened. I came to the surface. And I swam five strokes before I put my feet down quickly because I was still in my depth. All right. By the end of that term, I could swim a width of the swimming pool. And I used to finish this story when I used to tell it by saying, and now, if the ship I'm in sinks no more than one length of a swimming pool from the shore, I could save my life, but it's not true. I, as long as nobody asked me to do anything other than a breaststroke, I can swim for hours now. And do I like it? Absolutely not. I'd rather fly. But the point I'm making is this. You do not know whether it works until you let go. You just don't. And you don't know whether it works fully until you let go out of your depth. And in the things of the Holy Spirit, that's how you make progress. You let go of your control and you trust in God's control. <sighs> Does that excite you? I have, to, I have to say, spiritually, I'm very happy to be a great swimmer. It's just the actual swimming bit that I don't want to do. So, okay, but you still haven't answered the question. Where's this river coming from? If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, let me tell you what Jesus said. John chapter 7, verse 37 to 39. On the last and greatest day of the festival, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. Not trickles, not rivulets, but rivers of living water will flow from within them. By this he meant the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were later to receive, up to that time, the Spirit had not been given since Jesus had not been glorified. We need, our country needs, the church needs, most of all, uh, from my perspective, our children and young people in this country desperately need the flowing river of the grace of God. We can't do any more with occasional oases that people might bump into. See, God still wants to do a new thing, and it is always his, his way and his nature. He's willing to do that. Well, you may think, well, you know, things are so bad. Listen, back in the 18th century, before John Wesley came to the fore, the state of the church in this country was even worse than it is today. There were only four churches in the whole of London that had a weekly service. Various heresies and all sorts of ideas were all over the place. Christianity was ridiculed in public places, in high places. Wesley Whitfield and others began to preach 
And although not everybody was convinced, there was such a turnaround in the nation that the churches were packed within a lifetime. Within a lifetime. Take the Welsh Revival. The Welsh Revival in the early, uh, early 20th century. Astonishing things happened. Just a simple preacher preaching in his chapel and the overflow as the water went out and as the, the sea got deeper, touched life after life. The, the pit ponies in the Welsh mines who had been trained with swear words had to be retrained because the miners had stopped swearing. No one had told them to, they just had because their lives had been changed by Jesus Christ. People, a number of documented cases of people walking down the streets of Wales and suddenly falling to their knees with nobody speaking to them, pleading with mercy from God, or for mercy from God. You think, yeah, right, well, uh, really? Yeshua? I'm absolutely certain. It's well documented. It's very clear. Now, what we need is a move of God, and that move of God is going to come in two ways. One is by us praying and longing and yearning for God to do what only he can do because the, the, the source of life comes from him. I, I, just about every day of my life, I, I pray for revival. I pray that God will move by his spirit. And I'm expecting him to. I've seen, I've seen little surges in my time. Oh, but it spoils you for the, the great torrent of what God can do. So that's one thing. But the other thing is this. We as a church, we as Christian believers, according to Jesus, out of our innermost being will flow rivers of living water. We, we touch people with God's grace. We, as we trust him and go out on a limb for him, get out of our depth and speak up for him even though we get ridiculed, even though we even get, maybe even get persecuted, we become those people. And as we share the gospel of grace and God moves by his spirit, astonishing things happen. Lives are changed. Whole, whole communities turned around by the grace of God because it's about us. You're thinking, what do you mean it's about us? It's about God. Yes, I know that, but God has called us to his service. Yeah, we know that God wins in the end, don't we? As Christian people, we know that God wins. We know that Jesus is coming back. All those things are true and there'll be a day of judgment. But I long, long for people to be brought into God's kingdom before that day, for a great harvest, a great revival before that day. I don't want people to be lost. I really don't. So how, how do we let this river flow from us? Well... We, you're going to think my, my record's stuck again because I've said it so many times. We go on being filled with the Spirit, which is what the Bible says we should be. Go on being filled. Go on, go on. It's a present continuous tense. We live by the Spirit. We keep in step with, that's one of the best images I like of, of, of the Bible. We keep in step with the Spirit. You know, I used to march in the Salvation Army band years ago, keeping in step with. Interesting, especially when you're playing an instrument at the same time. Huh? <laughs> you had to learn, you know. And we all know the story of you know little Johnny, who uh, mother is so proud of him as he goes off to war. And look, he's the only one in step. But if we are going to keep in step with the Spirit, that's what it'll look like. 
because we'll be out of step with the world out there. Are we willing? Are we willing to be that different? Are we willing to be ridiculed? Those are the questions. So, if you or I are out there and the Spirit of God is beginning to flow from our lives, the river is getting deeper, what do we expect? What we expect is that fruit will begin to emerge and people will be impacted by love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. These are the fruits of the Holy Spirit that as we live our lives authentically for Jesus, other people will be touched by those things. We'll see them and say, I want some of that. I want some of that. That's our calling. That's our calling. One more, one more reading, just in case you think uh, I'm exaggerating how much the Bible talks about water and uh, its need for life, uh, in terms of life. This is a, a fa fabulous picture by, uh, that Isaiah writes of in Isaiah 35. And I've heard people say, well, surely this is talking about after Jesus comes back and, uh, uh, and heaven and all that sort of stuff. If you read it carefully, it can't be. Because if you read carefully, there's all sorts of other stuff around. So this is what it says. Isaiah 35, the desert and the parched land will be glad. The wilderness will rejoice and blossom. Like the crocus, it will burst into bloom. It will rejoice greatly and shout for joy. The glory of Lebanon will be given to it, the splendor of Carmel, Carmel and Sharon. They will see the glory of the Lord, the splendor of our God. Strengthen the feeble hands, steady the knees that give way. Say to those with fearful hearts, be strong, do not fear, your God will come. He will come with vengeance, with divine retribution. He will come to save you. Then the eyes of the blind will be opened, the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then will the lame leap like a deer and the mute tongue shout for joy. Water will gush forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. The burning sand will become a pool, the thirsty ground bubbling springs. In the haunts where jackals once lay, grass and reeds and papyrus will grow and a highway will be there. And it will be called the way of holiness. It will be for those who walk on that way. The unclean will not journey on it. Wicked fools will not go about on it. No lion will be there, nor any ravenous beast, nor will, uh, they will not be found there, but only the redeemed will walk there. And those the Lord has rescued will return. They will enter Zion with singing. Everlasting joy will crown their heads. Gladness and joy will overtake them. Sorrow and sighing will flee away. I love this idea of gladness and joy overtaking me. It's time to let the water flow. It's time to allow the trickle, which flows from all of us, maybe even a bit more than trickle, if we're really believers in Jesus Christ. It's time to let the trickle become ankle deep. And the ankle deep become knee deep and then waist deep. And it's time to let the river flow that we can swim in, the river that brings life. Are you willing this year? Are you willing this year to be people who are prepared to be out of your depth in the service of Jesus? Out of your 
depth, out of your comfort zone if you prefer, in trusting him and walking with him. Because God hasn't changed. The river still flows from his throne. Grace and mercy still being poured out. It's time for the church to rise up and be what we're called to be. And where the river flows, there's life. Let me pray. Father, I thank you for, for giving me this to say today, and I, I'm acutely conscious that uh, I've got an awful long way to go myself still. But thank you that you are the source of life, that grace continually flows from your heart, and that if we allow it to be, we can enter into the deep places. We can enter into the full flow. We can, we can unblock unblock uh, blockages that have been there for years in people's life. We can dig out irrigation ditches so your water will flow. Lord, help us to be people of faith, people who are continually filled by your Spirit, who walk with the Spirit, who keep in step with the Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.